Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on The Basic Podcast, where you can hear all of our latest messages, interviews, and more. Basic is a college and young adult ministry focused on uniting people to join in Jesus' work. To keep up with what's happening in our community, take a moment to follow us at Basic Worship or explore our website, basicworship.org. We hope you enjoy this episode of our podcast and that it helps you take a next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hi, how are you guys doing? My name is Kurt. Um, if you have not seen me before, uh, I teach sometimes at Orchard Hill. Um, otherwise, I'm a f- I have a consulting company that's in Waterloo that we do user experience design. Um, and I love to teach. And so uh, my wife and I have this little joke. I love to ride my bicycle too. Uh, we have this little joke. Every time I go out on a bike ride, I'm like not feeling into it and stuff. And I say, I'm just going to go for a short ride and I'm not going to go very hard. And we both snicker because we know that is not going to happen. I'm going to get out there and I'm just going to go whole hog. And that's the same with teaching. Like I watched the last four teachers teach and I was just so impressed by their pacing. Like they're just, they're just slow and steady and and that's not how I teach. I'm, so I know at some point this, I'm going to get wound up and we're going to be speaking at a lot of words per minute. So just let's go, you know, hang on and we're going to do this. Uh, yeah. So we are, are in the last week of this series um, called What is or who is Jesus? I was going to say, what is the Bible? Because last year, the foundational series was, what is the Bible? And this year, the foundational series is, who is Jesus? Like, these are foundations, right? That's what we're trying to get at is, what are the baseline things that, that Christians believe and have believed for centuries? And so, we are doing this series of, of who is Jesus by looking at the book of John and saying, what does John, what does the book of John tell us about who is Jesus? What can we find out? Because John himself said that he was writing his book in order that you might know something about who Jesus was. At the very end of John, he says, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life. So he tells you that's the purpose of this book. So we should be able to look at his book and say, all right, what does he say to us about who Jesus is? So I want you to think about this for yourself first. Before I tell you my outline, I want you to think about what would your outline be? Like if your job was to write a book or a paper, you know, a school paper that says, who is Jesus? What What would your essential elements be? What would you think has to be in that outline for it to, to, for it to be whatever you want to say, real, right, or, or true, deeply? What would be in your outline? And I'm not going to give you enough time to think about that because that's a hard question, right? But I want to tell you that I'm guessing that your, your outline that you're going to have is going to have more elements in it than what we're going to talk about tonight. And that's, that's just an interesting thing to think about and mull over and, and ask yourself, why would that be? Why would my outline have more elements in it? Well, one thing is you live in a totally different time, right? You live in a different time period than when this was written. This was this guy who's a young guy. John's a young guy when he lived it, right? He's probably a teenager when he lived it. And he gets to this point of this resurrection and absolutely, absolutely had no idea that that was coming, right? Like, that blew them away. And so uh, uh, an art, uh, artist, an author I was just watching, he was saying, this shows you some of the authenticity in the Gospels. The Gospels are saying, you know, they just seem like they're so in control and they're, and they're saying, this, this happened so that this, um, this would be fulfilled in Scripture, da, da, da. And they get to the resurrection and they sort of fall apart. 
All the books sort of just kind of like, and then the resurrection happened. There's like no more of that reference, like that happened so that it would fulfill this. It's just like, and then Jesus died and then he was back. You know, I mean, we got a very small amount there. Anyway, I'm already over time on just one thing. I'm already getting wound up. So your, your, your outline, I bet, is going to be longer than this outline. And here's the outline that I'm going to propose that was the outline of the disciples in the, in the first years just immediately following Jesus' death. Now, it grew in, in Paul, it grew, it grew later in, in, uh, even in John's world. But, but in the first years and in these gospels, the outline is very small. And here it is. Jesus, this guy that you guys knew, is God, is the Messiah, showed us signs and wonders that, that proved those two things, and then he died and was resurrected. That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. He's this guy that we all knew, we all saw, who claimed to be God, who claimed to be the Messiah that was referenced in, in Old Testament prophecies, who backed that claim up with signs and wonders, and then who, was di- and then who died and was resurrected. That's the outline. Check this out in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost, and Pentecost, you know, the Spirit comes, and people uh, start speaking in tongues, and the, the onlookers think that they're all drunk, and so Peter stands up, and he gives this speech where he's like, hey, no, 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 we're not drunk, but you got to know this is what happened, and this is exact. listen to what he says. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep hold of him. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and the Messiah. So they're a little out of order in that speech compared to what we're going to look at tonight, but it's the same elements. He was Messiah. He was a man. He claimed to be God. He did signs and wonders to prove it. And then he, was, and then he died, you killed him, and he was resurrected. That's the outline. And that's, the, that's what you've heard over the last four weeks in this series like we might not have known that that's what you heard because it wasn't labeled quite that clearly every time, but that's what you heard. And so today, I'm just gonna go back and string those back together for you so you can see what you've heard over the last four weeks. So the first week was Alice. And Alice did such a great job of unpacking like super deep down into just a few words, right? I mean, she didn't have, Alice, if you're listening, she did not have a very hard assignment. I mean, she had like 10 words or something. I don't know what's up with that. In the beginning, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, right? Great words, amazing words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then later we find out that 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 word was Jesus. And so Jesus was God. Point number one, Jesus was God. That's what John wants you to know. And so he says it very directly there. I mean, there's just no question when he says it there. But he also weaves it in through the rest of the story. And so if you're reading through John, you should be looking for John weaving this fact in. Sometimes, a lot of times, you're not going to notice it because the way he weaves it in is a very Jewish way of doing things. And you've got to sort of know the Jewish traditions and the Jewish history in order to see what he had just done. So I'll give you an example of that. There are seven times in the book of John, where Jesus is asked a question, and his answer is, I am he. 
I am he. And there's seven of those, which is a magic number in Hebrew. Um, the, the number seven means completeness. Everything, something is totally complete if it's done seven times. How many times should I forgive? Seven times? No, 70 times seven, right? It's a complete number. And so Jesus says this phrase, I am he, seven times. And I am he is, through multiple translations, right? Jesus is speaking Aramaic, which gets written down in Greek, but he was referring to Hebrew. He's referring to when, when Moses said, is talking with God and Moses says, I'm going to go back to the Egyptians and tell them that God is telling them to let the people go. Who should I say sent me? I am. Tell them I am sent you. The proper name of God is I am. And Jesus says, Jesus says, who are you? I am. I'm God. He's just absolutely telling you that he's God. The seventh time he does that, by the way, is toward the end of, of the Gospel of John. And, and it says, uh, when Jesus said this, people fell down on the ground. They drew back and they fell down on the ground. Why would, why would John tell you that? Because clearly Jesus didn't just say, yeah, that's me, right? No, no, no. He said, I'm God. And people fell on the ground. So Jesus is God. And John weaves that in and he just tells it to you directly. Second week was Brooke, and Brooke was telling us that Jesus was doing these miracles, and something you just have to know about the miracles of Jesus is that the miracles are speaking things, right? They're doing something, and it's really cool. If you were the blind man, you'd be like, oh, I'm super psyched to have sight again, but the miracle itself is, is saying something. It's saying something about who Jesus is and about what kind of control he has and what kind of person he is. And so you've got to read these miracles and say, what did that say about who Jesus was? So the first miracle that Brooke talked about was the miracle of the wedding banquet, right? That Jesus is at a wedding banquet and he turns this water into wine. Well, you, you just have to know that that's a reference to something that was very deep in the Jewish psyche that says at the end of time, when the, when the Messiah comes, there's going to be a banquet, a huge banquet. And we get these verses in the book of Isaiah that says, uh, on this mountain, the Lord will prepare a feast of rich food for all the peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest wines. That's, that's, that verse is in the psyche of the Jews. We know it's there because in Luke, in a whole different story, there's this guy at a table with Jesus and Jesus and him are kind of going back and forth and then he, thinking he's going to impress Jesus, raises kind of his glass as a toast and says, blessed is the man who eats at the final banquet of the Lord. The banquet of the Lord, that's the thing that they were expecting and waiting for. And so when Jesus turns water into the finest wine there is, he's saying, look at that. This is the kingdom of God coming. This is the final banquet. We're not waiting anymore. It's here. And then just, I can't tell you all of them, but just here's a little sampling on this next slide. These, 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 these really crack me up. They're so hilariously direct. So Jesus is on the Sabbath day. What's the Sabbath day? The day of rest, right? Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath. It gets people all wound up. They're all mad at him. And then he says, my father is always at work. 
<laughs> People go nuts. Why'd they go nuts? Two reasons. One, he said, my father, which means he's the son of God. And the second is, he said, is always at work, even on the Sabbath. The Sabbath law, he's like turning it over and turning it around. It's very obvious, right, that he's saying, no, 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 I am even control of the Sabbath. On Passover, Passover is this feast that the Jews celebrate, that celebrates when they went out into the Exodus, the night before they go out into the Exodus. They bake this bread that has no leaven in it, right? And, and, and that bread is going to sustain them when they get out into the desert, in the, just the first few days. So they celebrate this Passover. During Passover, John says, he just clues you in, during Passover, Jesus performs this other miracle that Brooke told us about of multiplying bread, <laughs> Right? He multiplies bread. He feeds people. And then he says, I'm the bread of life. On Passover. You guys, this is not a coincidence. This is John saying, this guy's the Messiah. This guy is all of that, that everything was talking about. All of that Old Testament scripture, that's all referring to him. We could go on. Um, to the Feast of Tabernacles is this thing where they celebrate the, the fact that they were out in the desert and they ran out of water and then water came, came out of this rock. And Jesus says, anybody thirsty? Come to me. I'm living water. Oh, okay. Right? Right? Now you see, sometimes when you read and, and, and Jesus says something and then, it, and then the next line is something like, and then they picked up stones to stone him because they were so mad. You're like, really? Why? Because he said, I'm the bread of life? No, 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 no. It's because he said, look, I just took Passover and changed it around. I just took the Feast of Tabernacles and said, I'm it. You know, like what is it in your life that would be like that? If we, you know, you're celebrating Christmas and Jesus says, I'm Santa. I don't know, right? I mean, it's something that would have to be so obvious that he's, that he's turning something over and saying, that's me. Next week, the Easter. He says he's the Easter bunny. That's a really weird joke, right? Because he is kind of the, right? Uh, so, second one was, he's the Messiah. Third one is that he has power over everything. He has power over the creation. If you think back, it's because he's the word who created it, right? So he has, continues to have power over it. And Andrew Sladke came and told us about this final kind of miracle this the, the the miracles are building up and he gets to this final kind of miracle where it's, he raises Lazarus from the dead where he says Lazarus come out of the tomb and Lazarus comes out of the tomb and this this miracle seals Jesus fate right he, he, he in a very real way he just sacrificed his life for Lazarus he just traded lives there is no doubt at that moment, from that moment on, that he has to be dealt with. Because now he has come to the point where he's elevated this, this kind of language to the point where he's, he's making it absolutely clear, I am in complete control of all of life, of all of everything. I am God. I am the Messiah. And I am in control of everything. And so the Jews had to deal with that, right? They, had to, they either had to acknowledge it or kill him. And so that, that, that day sealed Jesus' fate. And then the next week was Q. And I'm skipping over his week on purpose. I'm coming back to it. And he's not here, so I didn't have to say anything about him. Uh, no. Then the next thing that we hear is all about the death and resurrection. We hear that Jesus was tortured and killed and buried, and fully dead. Just absolutely fully dead. 
And we get this, we get, in fact, we get this verse that says, when the disciples were together in one place, for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He was fully dead, and now he's resurrected. And here's something that I think you also need to know, is that resurrection, what happened right there, and Lazarus rising from the dead aren't the same thing. This is, a real, this is kind of a common thing that you might not have just thought through. Lazarus rising from the dead is a thing where a guy dies, and that same guy comes back. When he walks out of the tomb, everyone knows who he is. He's the same dude. He has the same powers. He smells more than he did the last time they saw him. But otherwise, he's the same guy, right? I wonder today, is his birthday different now by four days? Anyway, uh, but he's the same guy. He was dead, he came back, now he's just that guy, just alive. Jesus' resurrection is not that. Jesus' resurrection is someone dying, changing into something else, and, and coming back as that other thing. He's, he's now a new type of thing. He's renewed. He's restored. These are all, these are all words taken right out of what's going to come in the scriptures later. He's, he's like, in his own words, it's like a plant, a seed who has died and then comes out of that and is something else. It's, it's, his, his old self was consumed by whatever it was that happened that turned into resurrection, right? He's no longer in the grave, and now he's a new thing. And this new thing is kind of like Jesus. It's a lot like Jesus in some ways, right? He, he's, he can show people his body. He can eat things. He can say, put your hand where I was, where I was pierced. There's physicality to him. But in a lot of other ways, he's not him. Like this one. He just appeared in their room in a locked door, right? How did he do that? Or all, all these mystery, mysterious kind of verses where it says people saw him, but they weren't quite sure it was him. You know, when the first time Mary sees him, who's been with him always, the first time Mary sees him, she doesn't recognize him. How weird is that? I mean, we can't, I don't know what that is, but I do know that it's because he's not the same exact kind of thing. At the end of John, there's this hilarious verse where, the, where Jesus is on the, on the shore and he's cooking the fish and he says, hey, come on, you know, catch some big, big net of fish and then come on, let's eat. And the disciples get there and it says like, it says, nobody, was, nobody would ask him if it was Jesus because they were afraid, but they knew it was him. <laughs> How weird is that? They knew it was him, but they weren't really quite sure and they were kind of afraid to ask, but they, weren't, they wouldn't do it. Resurrection, this is what I want you to hear about this. Resurrection is something becoming something else, but new. Something taking this form and now improving on that form. Why do I care? Why do I care? It's because I think that is the key to this storyline that the disciples are telling. The key to this storyline, where they're saying, this is the story. This guy was God was the Messiah, could do all these things, was, was killed, and was resurrected. The key to why that storyline was so important was because it's the first time ever in history that, that, that their eyes are open and they're like, wait a second. Now some of this other stuff makes sense. That pattern, that thing that happened to Jesus, that's actually what's happening in the entire universe. That's actually what's happening to all of history. 
that actually now makes some sense about what we've heard is going to be in the end. There was a whole lot of confusion uh, at, the, at this moment of time about what end is going to look like. Is there going to be is there going to be life after death? Like there was disagreements about that. Nobody, nobody thought it looked like this. Like something new is going to come out of something old. And so the disciples are like, oh, this is the new story. This is the big deal. Renewal, restoration. This is the new thing. Life itself. All of creation itself is going to go through the same cycle. It's going to come into being and have a life. And it's going to go through some kind of death process that we don't really totally understand. And then it's going to renew and restore and become a better version of itself. And why is that important? Why does that get me wound up? Because of this. I think the biggest story that you tell yourself the biggest story that you understand about who we are, where we are, what you think is happening, what role you think you take, that sets your worldview, and that worldview sets how you are going to decide to act and be and behave and where you think you're going. And so when Jesus tells this story of the renewal of all things, which, by the way, I've been saying that over and over, and those are Jesus' exact words, in the book of Matthew, when he's talking about the end, he says, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on the throne, he, he calls the end time the renewal of all things. We call it the end times. <laughs> it's not the end times. There's nothing end about that. It's the renewal of all things. And so what, how you perceive that, how you perceive that happening, really sets up and shapes how you behave and how you decide to live. It should, I think, I think it should put you into a, a mode of long-term optimism. I think when you look around, you should be thinking and seeing that all of this is heading toward renewal and restoration is heading toward resurrection. That's where, that's where this is going. That's the story that you're in. I think, I think often, too often, we look around and see something totally different. We look around and we see the people and systems and all of it is just like needing a fire, right? It should just be lit. And it should just go away. And God should just start over. And hopefully we're in the start over part somehow. I don't, think, I don't think that's the worldview that Jesus was promoting. I think Jesus was promoting a worldview that says, look around. What you see is, is destined for renewal, for restoration, for, for, the, for the return, for resurrection. And that just, that just, as I look inside of myself, that just sets up stuff inside of me. Like when I have this... Uh, tendency to think of things as a dumpster fire, then I have a tendency to say, I'm just going to sit and watch TV, right? I'm just going to, I'm just going to let it be. Like, it's not my fault, right? People are dying and hurting, I know, but that's not me. It's all heading toward the dump. But when I see it all heading toward restoration and renewal, it gets me thinking like, well, what should I be doing? How should I be helping? Is there some way that I can actually promote renewal and restoration? 
But, and, and, and then it's all opposite too. Like on days when I just don't feel good, then that's, those are the days that I want to tell myself that it's all heading toward, towards a, a dumpster fire, right? It's, it's all just heading down. But that's just not the story that Jesus was telling and not the story that got the disciples wound up. The disciples had this huge moment of, I did not see that coming. And I did not understand the implications that that was going to have on everything that we see. Now, you might be thinking, I don't know, you might be thinking, all right, there's going to be a heap and helping of bad news between now and then, right? I've read Revelation, I've seen. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I do know, yes, we are in a time where there is coinciding good news and bad news. I, 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 absolutely, there's no way to deny that we are in a time where there's that what, what theologians would call the now and not yet, that are, that are all both together in the same space. But, no matter what, I believe it's not a waiting game. We're not supposed to be just sitting here waiting, just waiting for things to degrade and get worse. Waiting for some far off future when just like in the times of Noah, God's gonna be just like, try again, right? This is not what we're doing here. I think that the disciples and then Paul and I think Jesus thought that the kingdom would come when he left. I, thought that, I think that when he prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he meant right when he leaves or he meant right then that day. He meant it's starting now. The renewal is here. So the first thing I think this story should tell you is you should have optimism. You should be looking around and not be like, man, this thing is really a dump. You should be saying, all of this is, is heading toward restoration. What do I do? Number two, you should be looking for and practicing what the Bible calls the first fruits. Right? You should be seeing those things and saying, hey, let's, let's make those happen more. There's one thing, no matter what you think about what Revelation has to say or where, we, where you think we're going, if we're going to go down to a pinch point and then resurrect or if we're, I don't care what you think about that. You cannot say anything that, that says that Jesus didn't say that the spirit is here now, right? You cannot say that Jesus didn't say when I leave, the spirit is coming and it's actually going to be better when I'm gone than, than it is now. And why did he say that? Because the spirit is going to come and make all of us priests, the Spirit is going to come and empower all of us to be able to do the things that priests could do. The Spirit is going to come and he's going to make it so that we all are participating in the renewal. And that's where I skipped over Q. This is what Q was talking about. Because there's this section in the book of John that goes from chapter 13 to chapter 17. Where Jesus just like, okay, it's the end. In fact, in fact Q pointed it out, didn't he? He said, um... I have no idea where it is in my notes. But he said, um, Jesus knew that it was the last of his time. And then, he, and then he teaches his disciples these things. So then, then we get these five chapters of Jesus teaching his disciples. And he teaches them just what Q said. How to serve, how to surrender, how to stay, how to sacrifice, how to live with the Spirit. All of those things are things that Jesus is saying, okay, now, when I leave, that's how you should live. That's how it should be. 
When I'm gone, you guys should be serving and surrendering and staying and living in the spirit. You guys should be restoring and renewing. You guys should be active and, and going that way. And Jesus has this amazing, just amazing prayer in John 17 where he says, let these people, let these people, my disciples, and then those who come after him be one. And may they have God inside of them. May they be in us and us in them just like we are in each other. Jesus, like, re, go read it. He, Jesus says, might the believers be part of the Trinity. Might they be one with us. Which is just a mind-blowing thing the first time I realized that that's what he was saying. Might they be one like we are one. Might we be in them and they be in us. That's what Jesus thinks is going to happen when he's gone. Not some sort of slow, steady slide off the map. So, I'm setting up this premise that says, John knew, John was writing and saying that Jesus' resurrection was the first day of a new creation, a new thing. Now let me show you some things that, that, that also help me believe. Remember how I told you that John just loves to put these metaphors, these symbols baked into what he writes. In John chapter 19, Jesus just, cru just crucified. John says, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. Like, are you already smiling? Because I am. There was a garden. Have you heard of the Garden of Eden before? I have. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So just so to set you up, what I'm going to tell you in the next chapter, I just want you to know that it starts in a garden. That's the scene that I'm going to set for you. Come on, guys. Be amazed. By, what? It starts in a garden. So you might say, and I've had someone come up to me afterwards when I said this years ago. I'm like, that's just no big deal. That's a coincidence. Okay, you can say that. That's fine. A, people who study it don't think so. They think he, John put that in there because he's setting this up. And B, check out the next sentence. The next sentence is this. Uh, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark... Really, guys? Do you think that's talking about right before creation? Do you think that might be saying exactly the same thing as was said in Genesis? Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters? Do you think that Jesus was in a, in a garden and then Mary goes out on the first day of the week before dark or while it was still dark? Do you think that maybe John is once again saying, check out how this story goes? So Mary goes out and, and discovers that this is the new day. This is the new creation. This is the start of the whole new thing. Jesus is back and resurrected. And it, and, and it starts to dawn on everyone slowly. This is a new reality that we did not see coming. So, who is Jesus? <laughs> That's all we're trying to answer. Who is Jesus? Jesus claimed to be, and we think he is, God. We think he is the Messiah. We think he showed it through signs and wonders. 
And I might add that those signs and wonders were signs and wonders that were specifically designed to, to point us back at the first two truths, to tell us, yes, I am God, and yes, I am the Messiah. And then he is a man who was killed and was actually dead, fully dead. And it, sometimes you just, you really got to wrap your mind around that he was dead. Like we have nothing else to, in our experience that, sh- that is like that. He was dead. And then he was transformed into something else, something a lot like what he was before, but something better than he was before. He was resurrected. He was renewed. He was restored. You wouldn't even believe what I didn't say. There's the stuff. So anyway, one of Jesus' favorite words was teshuva. Teshuva. He says it uh, throughout the Gospels, and it's translated in English as Repent, usually. But in, in Hebrew, this word has, is so much richer than repent. And it's become one of my favorite words, too. It's so rich. It's, it's a word that means return. It's a word that means come home. Come home. In fact, if you just Google teshuva, you'll see that it's still being used by Jewish people today, usually in a sense of like the teshuva center, where you can come home and be restored and be renewed. Teshuva means to turn around, take a U-turn, go back to where you were, head back to Eden. Jesus, the context, he would always say it is, Teshuva, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is nearby. The kingdom of God is coming to you now. Teshuva. I think, I think Teshuva is telling us that we do not need to keep heading in the wrong direction. That is not our fate. We do not need to keep heading downwards. We can turn around. That we can reverse this. That we can head back to Eden. And the very last thing that John says in the other book he wrote, Revelation, the very, one of the very last things he says was, and behold, I saw a new Jerusalem and a new earth. And that word new that he uses there doesn't mean brand new. It means restored, renewed. I saw the revised, the resurrected earth. So the thing I want you to do from what you've learned is to go make some heaven here on earth. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, what richness, right? What, what just richness this follower of yours, John, gives to us. This young guy that, that walked around with you for, for a lot of years and then spent the rest of his life thinking through and trying to, trying to express who you are and what you did, what it meant. Thanks for him. Thanks for him, his, his, his dedication and his writing and his telling us who you were. And now I pray that we can be inspired by what he said and, and that we can start to actually believe this, this very simple thing <laughs> that's so hard. You came as Jesus and you were God and you were the Messiah and you died and were resurrected to show us the first fruits of what's to come. I pray that can motivate us and move us and and make us help you do it. In Jesus' name, amen.